Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and uh, what's interesting, though, is that the history really starts not uh, all the way back with Abraham or even the Exodus, but it begins with the first time God made this covenant at Sinai. And here it says that Moses repeats or states the word of the Lord. So they're at Mount Sinai, and they have been there for about a year getting instructions and uh, uh, making the first covenant agreement. Right? And God said, you've been here long enough. Hey, time's up. It's time to move forward and to go take possession of the land right, that's before you. So leave from here and go now to take possession. And then it names and it describes this land, and it's a bunch of places I always stumble over pronouncing the words, but basically the land of Canaan plus, plus, plus. And what we see is that uh, what God makes for them here is a supersized promise. Okay, you guys like going to McDonald's or wherever they supersize, you can, you know, you can upgrade, supersize the menu, and they'll give you extra fries and extra Coke, just what we all need, right? Uh, I used to do that, right? Now if I supersize the menu, I supersize me. So I, I try not to do that too often. I'm supersized enough, right? Um, what we see here is God, is God is giving them a promise way bigger than they actually ever take possession of. Even at the, at, the, at the peak of the kingdom with David and Solomon, they never possess all that God spells out here, right? And, and, and we see that, uh, that God's promise is actually far bigger than what they ever could lay hold of. And the problem was not God's fault. It wasn't that God was not faithful to his promise. The problem was what? Well, they just could never really believe enough to claim and take hold of all that God had for them. And uh, how often is that true for us? Right? Uh, I think we don't, we don't begin to imagine how big God's promises are for us. Right? How much God wants to bless us. Uh, and we just can't imagine that God could really be that good and that loving. I remember uh, when I was a kid going to a Bible camp, a youth camp, and uh, sitting at the chapel service, uh, the outdoor chapel, and the speaker got up and he was talking about God's gift, right? And he pulls out his wallet and he takes out a $1 bill. And 190 years ago when I was at camp, that was a lot of money. Now maybe not so much, but uh, I thought, wow, a dollar, right? And he waved it up in front of everybody. He says, I will give this to uh, anybody who will come up and take it. Right? And you know what we did? We all just sat there, like paralyzed, right? And, and nobody went up for the longest time. And finally, after, I don't know, it seemed like a very long time, some kid finally meekly goes up and takes the dollar and he gets it. And we're all going, why didn't I go? Why didn't I go up, right? And... Um, you know, we, we didn't really believe, I didn't really believe that he meant it. Like, I didn't really believe that I could just go take it. And how, how often that's true of us with God. Uh, we, we just don't believe that God really is offering us his good promises. Uh, we don't have faith to grab hold of them. But it's not just about faith, right? Uh, it, it is also a matter of obedience, and oftentimes, actually, the idea of God's blessings and goodness and his faithfulness to his promises is misunderstood um, that if, if we just have enough faith, God will give us anything we want, like kind of like a, a magic genie, right? And the, the way it works is we often just have this idea that if I want something bad enough and I just believe enough in what I want, God's going to give it to me, right? 
But that's not actually what God ever promises in the Bible. Uh, and, uh, but, but how often do we do this, right? And maybe even with our ministry or with our, our, our work or even good things, we think if I, if I come up with a good plan, all I need to do is pray enough and believe enough that God will bless my plan and, and good things will happen, right? But that's actually not how God's promises work. It's not about God blessing our plans, God blessing, God blessing our ideas. Believe it or not, God uh, knows what you need much more than you do. Right? Do you believe that? I think a lot of times we don't. I mean, we know it in our head, but deep down inside we have this idea that certainly God can't know what I need as much as I do. Right? And I know what I want, and I'm convinced if God really wants to bless me, he'll do it my way. But that's not actually how God works. Uh, he is good, he's loving, but he's also all-knowing. And he knows what is best for us. And he knows what is good. And he actually, believe it or not, has a plan and a purpose which he has sought out from before the foundations of the earth. Right? And so we see here that uh, God doesn't just lay before them the whole world and say, hey, like, what's your guys' idea of what you want? Why don't you tell me what you want and then I'll give you. Like, you want Europe, you want Africa you want Thailand, like you tell me, and then I'll bless you. No, right? God says, I have, a, I have a land for you that I chose, that I picked, right? And it's the best land for you for a lot of reasons, right? And so he commands them to go. So his, his promise is, is a matter of belief, but it is also a matter of, of obedience, of following God's plan and his commands. Um, we take possession of his promised blessing when we, in faith, obey him, follow his leading, and receive the gifts that he wants to give. Right? Um, so we see that here. And as, as Moses recounts the words of God to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, right? God's commanding them to go and in faith and obedience take possession of the land. Uh, then the next section uh, seems a little bit out of place. Um, it says in verse 9, At that time uh, I said to you, and again this is now Moses speaking, changing the voice from God's words to his. Moses said, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. And how can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise and understanding and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. Uh, so we see here, this seems a little out of place. Uh, what has this got to do with God's promise and God's fulfilling his promise? But actually what we see here is that uh, Moses has a good problem. And the problem is actually a, a direct result of God keeping his promise, right? Way back to Abraham, God promised Abraham, look, I am going to make your descendants so multiplied that they are going to be like the stars of the sky, innumerable. And, and Moses uses those same exact words here. He says, the Lord has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. Okay, by the way, this is figures of speech. It doesn't mean that Moses knew exactly how many stars there were, and then he compared it with their census. No, it's a, figure, it's a figure of speech, right? 
It means they are abundantly prosperous in, in multiplying and becoming this great nation. And, and that's not the end of it. Uh, Moses goes on, he says, May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times uh, as many as you are, and bless you as he promised you. Right? So what we see here is that God's, uh, Moses is reminding them that God has already been fulfilling his promises. Right? He has already expanded their nation to this countless group. Then in 15, he continues on, he says, So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifty, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. Uh, this actually is looking forward. Okay? God has blessed them. He's fulfilling his promises. But also, they're to organize themselves and prepare for battle. Right? Commanders are words that's used for an army. And he doesn't, he's not picking here politicians. He doesn't say, select for yourselves a prime minister of thousands and a, you know, a legislator or a senator of hundreds, right? No, these are commanders. That's because they are preparing for battle. Uh, they are going to have to go to war uh, when they, if they are to take possession of the promised land. Um, so, so it's a proof of God's goodness, but it's also a preparation for what is to come. Um, and it's a reminder that uh, the land that is in front of them is inhabited, right? There's already people in there. And they're probably not uh, all that excited about just handing the keys over, right? They're not going to say, oh, you know, God told us you were coming. We're happy to move out so you can move in. Uh, certainly, that's not the way it's going to be. So in verse 19, Moses says, then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites. Uh, they went through this very stark and bleak desert, right? This terrifying wilderness. And the journey from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea was bleak, brutally uh, remote, and, and uh, a people, a land very much uninhabited, even by camels and donkeys, right? Uh, and, and, you know, God could have given him that land. It would have been easy because nobody lived there. But that was not his purpose. And he said, we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Well, should they be afraid? Well, at some level, yes, right? because there is an enemy living in that land. And it's, it's not going to be a simple thing for them to take this. Um, uh, by the way, kind of a side note, uh, throughout history, people have used this passage and passages like this to kind of justify the uh, might is right doctrine. You know, that if I can bully you enough, I can take what belongs to you and make it mine. Uh, and some people would say, well, isn't this what God's doing? Isn't God just saying, well, we're going we're gonna to beat up the people who were there and take their land, and that's okay. Well, uh, it's not okay, and, and, and certainly passages, passages like this never justify people taking by force what is not theirs. But what's important to note here is that he's not telling them to take what wasn't theirs. Right? This was land he had promised to them and to Abraham way back 400 years ago. Right? And God in his goodness had, had set that land aside even from before the foundations of, of the earth. 
And in fact, one of the reasons that um, it had taken over 400 years before God could fulfill this promise was it says that, uh, that God needed to wait for the fullness of wickedness to, to reach its height in Canaan, right? So that he could judge them. So what, what they were receiving uh, was a result in Canaan, as they were about to be destroyed, was a result of their own wickedness and sinfulness, right? Uh, and, 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 and so God's not being unjust in giving this land to the Israelites. Um, verse 22, we're kind of uh, racing through this. Uh, verse 22, Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one from each tribe. And they turned and went up to the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. So before they decide to go attack, they uh, appoint some spies, they go surveying the land. And they come back with this report that it is indeed a good land, a good land that God is giving them. Um, So in all these little tidbits, what we see here is really the goodness and faithfulness of God, right? He's been faithful in multiplying them from a handful of people that went down to Egypt to this great nation. And he's been faithful in leading them and making covenant with them and bringing them to the place where they can enter the promised land. And even in preparing them to enter as an army and not just a a mob of people, right? He's organized them. He's prepared them. Uh, And and that's God's part. Uh, In this covenant agreement, uh, they're each agreeing to their part. And God's part was to be God, right? To be faithful in providing and leading them and protecting them. In giving to them uh, the land according to his promise. And the part for Israel, their part was, was quite simple. Their part was simply to have faith in God and follow him in total obedience. Right? But of course, that's where we start having problems. Uh, following God in obedience. And in verse 26, we see that the this, this, this scene changes. And now we start seeing something of the unfaithfulness of Israel. Right? Let's see how they were unfaithful. In verse 26... Moses says, Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord has hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt, to give us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where are we going up? Or another way you could say that is, Where are we supposed to go now? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to the heavens. And besides, we have seen the sons of, of the Anakin there. All right, so uh, what we see here is that the people respond to God's command by straight-out rebellion. Right? They refuse, they flat-out refuse to do what God commanded them. And in so doing, they are breaking the covenant that God made with them. And Mount Sinai. Um, they were un- and, and, and we see that they were unwilling to obey 
because they were unable to believe. Right? They were unable to believe uh, in the goodness and power of God to fulfill his word. Notice what it says. Right? It doesn't just say that they refused, but it says that um, uh, because the Lord has hated us, he brought us out of Egypt. Wow. Right? Is that why God uh, went through that whole thing with you know Pharaoh? Remember the ten plagues, all that? The whole going through the Red Sea, uh, destroying Pharaoh's army. God did all that because he hated Israel? Really? Right? Well, all of a sudden, that's what they think. They think, you know, uh, Egypt, the Egyptians couldn't destroy us, so God had to bring us all the way out here to Canaan so that they would destroy us. Right? Wow, what a change, right? And you see, all they could see were the problems. Uh, it says that the people were bigger and taller than them. This is a land of tall people, right? And apparently the Israelites, I guess, were short or something. I don't know. Uh, the people are taller. They're bigger than us. We're scared of them. And they have these fortified cities with walls, they said, that go up to the heavens. Maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, right? But they're thinking, how are we going to penetrate those, those huge walled cities, right? It seems impossible to us. And we've seen the sons of Anakim, which is a giant, right? So there's some, not only tall people, but there's actually giants there. Um, whatever that looks like, we don't know. But uh, the point was to them, in their eyes, this was impossible. Right? There's no way they could overcome the enemies that uh, lay before them in the promised land. Um, and, and sadly, they could see the problems all too well, but they could not see or would not see uh, God's power. Uh, that God was good and loving, and that God brought them to this place, not because he hated them and wanted to destroy them, but because God actually loved them and wanted to bless them. They could not see that. Uh, And really, we can think about ourselves. What about us? Is it easier for us to focus on the problems or to believe in God's goodness and power? Well, I know for me, oftentimes... It's super easy to see the problems, right? So easy. And I can focus on those problems until they become so impossible and so overwhelming. I start wondering, uh, maybe God doesn't love me, right? Now, I've probably never gone so far to say God hates me. Sometimes I wonder, though, if he's out to destroy me, right? And that's what happens when we don't have faith to see God's love and goodness, in the face of our enemies. But Moses wants to discourage him. So Moses doesn't give up. He kind of sees what's going on. And in verse 29 it says, Then I, Moses, said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Those are some encouraging words Moses gives. And he says, look, you're you're focusing your attention in the wrong place. You need to see instead not the problems, but you need to to see that God doesn't hate you. In fact, God has, has gone before you every step of the way. Right? And he will continue to go before you. Like, you sent some spies to spy out the land, but trust me, God as a spy is way better. Right? 
And he knows the path, he knows the way to go, right, to bring you to victory. And not only does he not only know the way to go so he can lead you, but actually God himself will fight for you. But this is not your battle. Uh, yes, they will march, yes, they will go up against the cities, but it, it was actually going to be God who is going to be fighting and overcoming the enemies, not them. Right? It, it probably was impossible for Israel to defeat the enemies in Canaan, but it was not impossible for God. And finally, he says, uh, uh, don't you see how all along in the wilderness, from, from Egypt to this very place, how God has been carrying you along as a father carries his son. I remember when my kids were all pretty little, uh, we'd be, you know, uh, on our feet too long, whether at the mall or shopping or going on a hike, and you could just see that, you know, they were done. Like sometimes they'd sit down and lay down and start crying, right? And like they weren't taking another step, right? So I'd pick them up and throw them on my back, and I'd, I'd carry them, right? And that's the picture here. Many times Israel was done, and yet God carried them along. Uh, because he wanted to destroy them? No, because he cared for them, because he loved them. Um, but sadly, the Israelites uh, refused to believe. Um, and in this verse 32, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents, in fire by night and in the cloud by day, to show you by what way you should go. Right? So, so see, they were, they were being disobedient, but, but uh, Moses identifies as the, the root of the problem. It's not just that they were disobedient, but they would not believe. Right? In spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Great picture and example of how true obedience works. Right? True obedience requires uh, faith. It, it requires a belief and conviction that God is good and that he really does want the very best for us. Right? Uh, back uh, many, many years ago, I worked at a camp, and uh, every year I, one of my jobs was to train the summer staff. And so uh, one of the things I would do for kind of a team-building thing is a trust fall. Have, you ever, have any of you ever done a trust fall? You have two people line up facing each other and they put their hands out. Then you have a table or kind of a high place and somebody stands up there like this and they have to fall backward and, uh, and hope that the people catch them, right? And it takes a lot of faith. You've got you to think, do I really believe these people are going to catch me or are they going to just drop me and laugh, right? Well, we're doing this. And uh, back in those days, I was probably a little, a little over the top sometimes. And uh, for me, like a table this height was not... Not enough test of faith. Like I wanted, I wanted a real test of faith. So we had this climbing wall, and, and we would we get up on this wall. And it was about eight to ten feet off the ground. It was high. Uh, maybe not ten feet, probably eight feet, uh, six to eight feet. And uh, so I'd have the staff do the trust fall off that. Well, that took a lot more like real faith, and it was a good exercise. Like, do I really trust my teammates? Right. Well, so we're going through the staff one by one, and they're all falling, catching them all. And also this one staff guy gets up, and he, he seriously weighed probably over 300 pounds. And uh, just the wall starts creaking as he gets up there. And I'm thinking, uh, maybe I should have thought this through better first, right? Because uh, all of a sudden I'm seeing this guy up there, and I'm thinking, 
I'm not having faith. Like, I'm not sure that these guys can catch him. And, he, and he's got, and his eyes are kind of big around, and, and I'm not sure he believes it either, but he stands up there, and to his credit, he trusts those guys, and he does the faithful. And I, I uh, found the biggest, strongest guys I could, and uh, praise God, they caught him, right? Um, uh, but to, to, to take that step, to, to lean back and let yourself fall, right? You have to believe that those people want the best for you. They're going to do their very best to protect you. Well, that's how it is with God. Do we really believe in his goodness? Well, Israel uh, would not believe God was good, right? They believed instead he was not loving and he hated them. And so it was impossible for them to step out in faith and obedience, right? It was impossible. Uh, and because of that, God gives them a new promise. Verse 34, And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. Right? They, they miss out on the blessing. In fact, even Moses says that even he would miss out. Right? Even Moses failed to trust God completely. Right? And, and so as a result, this generation, because of their lack of obedience, which came because of their lack of faith, they broke the covenant. Right? They had broken the covenant. And um, they would not enter the promised land. And we might think, well, where, where is grace, all, grace in all this? Well, you know, why didn't God give them a second chance? Well, it's important to see that, and Moses is a good example of this, that this is not about losing their salvation. God is not abandoning them. Right? He's not destroying them in the desert and, and saying, oh, you've broken the covenant with me, I will destroy you, which he could have right then. He didn't need the Canaanites to destroy them, or the Egyptians. God could have said, fire down from heaven. God could have opened up the land and swallowed the whole people. Right? If God wanted to destroy them, uh, he could have done it. But he does not destroy them. And not only does he not destroy them, but he goes with them. He does not abandon them. Uh, he stays with them. He leads them. He provides for them. He cares for them. But they will not walk and receive the fullness of blessing. Right? They will not experience everything that God wants for them because they refuse to step forward in faith. And, and you know, that's the thing with our life. It's, you know, God... He saves us, and by His grace, He has uh, made us right with Him. And uh, you know, we can do some pretty stupid things and not not mess that up. But the question is: Are we really walking in the full blessing of what of all that God has for our life? Right? Are we really taking possession of everything that God wants for us, or does our lack of faith and our lack of obedience of stepping out because of faith? Uh, short, short change us of what God uh, make us fall short of what God really wants for our life. Right? Um, well, finally, they try what I would call a faithless repentance. <laughs> they try to repent, but again, it's not moved by faith that ends up in obedience. Verse forty-one. Then you answered me, "We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us." And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war, and they thought it easy to go up to the hill country and, and go to battle. And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst. 
lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord. Right? So they tried to repent, but their, their, their repentance was not out of faith. And we see that because they still refused to obey. Right? They didn't walk in obedience. God said, don't go. And again, they disregard the command of God. And they disobey. So we see where God was faithful, Israel is unfaithful and rebellious. And they even have the nerve to turn upside down and twist the very loving character of God. Because they are so blinded by all that's going on around them. And so that really explains one of the reasons in their history that they now need to renew the covenant. Right? That covenant should have gone from generation to generation, but the covenant had been broken. And what we see, God in his grace, God does not change the covenant. He keeps the same exact covenant, as we will see, the same promises. But now he wants to make it new to a new generation and call them to enter anew into uh, that same covenant agreement. Right? Um, so let's, let's go back up just a little bit and, and apply this to our own lives and our own situation. That, that question, you know, life can be super hard and difficult and challenging. And when we face trials and problems, when we uh, see lying before us uh, enemies and problems bigger than we can handle, in fact, problems that for us we know are impossible, how do we respond to those things? Do we become like Israel and say, uh, this is proof that God is not faithful? Right? Does, the, does the presence of enemies and obstacles in our life mean God is not loving and faithful? And that's exactly what Israel did, right? They said the fact that there are enemies, and they're big enemies and impossible enemies, that reality proves that God must not be loving. Um, God must hate me. Well, uh, I will confess that sometimes I have thought that. Right? And I have maybe gone as far as saying that God hates me, but I've come to that conclusion. God, life is hard, and, and things aren't going the way I want, and it seems like there's all these obstacles, and some of the enemies and difficulties seem so impossible. I don't see a way forward. Why don't you love me? Right? Why, why don't you make things easier for me? But we need to remember, first off, that God never promised, ever, that our life would be trouble-free. Right? Uh, yes, God could have given them the barren wasteland that they walked through, and it would have been super easy. Right? Look, no enemies, uh, no walled cities, no giants. You just all hang out there in the wilderness, right? Uh, it would have been easy. But, but that was not God's plan. And God could have made the wilderness sprout up into a lush garden, right? He can do anything. But God had reasons, right, for taking them to a place with enemies, with obstacles. Well, what was his purpose, right? And in our purpose as well, yes, God could eliminate all the problems. God could make your life a lot easier. Which is why we get angry at him, right? We know, yes, God, you're big. You could, you could remove all the problems. Why don't you? Well, why doesn't he? Well, for the simple reason that these obstacles in our life are the opportunities that God uses to prove and show his love and goodness. Right? It's through the hard things that God demonstrates 
how much he loves and cares for us. Not by making life easy, but by helping us when we face obstacles and challenges. uh, Showing us that he is powerful enough to overcome them. One of the things I enjoy doing and have opportunities to do uh, is to teach uh, parents about what's called attachment theory, and I've done it a lot here in Thailand uh, from kind of my background. And attachment theory has to do with how a baby, when it's first born, forms a strong bond or connection with the mom. And out of that bond or that attachment uh, uh, forms all kinds of good things in a child's life. And I uh, came to know about this because I worked in a clinic uh, that helped kids who did not have good attachment. And, uh, and the problems that come when that good, strong bond between the mom and the baby does not form. What's really interesting about this theory is that it works like this. As soon as the baby's born, a brand new, tiny little newborn child, uh, that child doesn't actually know anything, right? Can't speak, doesn't know language, doesn't really even know, uh, like we know uh, cognitively who mom is, Right? And, and one of the first things that happens is the uh, baby gets hungry, right? Now, for uh, a newborn who has no experience in the world, hunger becomes a life crisis. Uh, and the child uh, begins to panic and feel, my life is ending. I'm dying, right? If I don't get food, life is over for me. And so they feel this moment of panic and anxiety. And uh, they, they respond by what? They cry, Right? And if you've ever been around a little newborn who's hungry, they don't just go kind of a little whimper like, mm-hmm. it's not like that. No, what is it? It's a, Wah! I'm dying, right? And they scream out, just cry, right? Help, I'm dying, right? And every good mother knows that cry, and they know just instinctively what to do about that. And they scoop up that little, cuddly little thing, and they feed it, and uh, ah, the baby's tummy's full, so he feels better. But not only do they feel better because their tummy's full, but they feel better because they have actually experienced love. Right? They've experienced a loving, caring, bigger person who's looking out for them. And uh, as this goes on over and over and over through their, their, their early months, they start to really experience and understand there's a person out there who, who loves uh, me and cares for me. Uh, what's interesting is that they studied how this works. They've noticed that some moms are too good. Like, some moms are just too on top of it. And they're so, they're so on top of things that, that their child actually never really experiences that sense of crisis or panic, right? They, they feed them before they know they're hungry. They change their diaper before they get uncomfortable, right? They just are like, always one step ahead. And what they found that for those kids, they don't form good attachment, right? Because their needs are met, but they don't realize that it's mom who's loving them and taking care of them, right? It's actually through experiencing the crisis and the relief of that crisis that they come to really understand what love is. Well, the same is true for God, right? And and be honest, right? Uh, How much of what God does do for us do we just take for granted, right? How many of you had breakfast this morning? Okay, some of you, right? Uh, How many of you thanked God for it? Okay, some of you. How many of you really thanked God for it? Like, how many of you are like, God, thank you so much for breakfast? Or was it kind of like, thank you, God, for this food and this blessed day? Amen, right? 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 Tell the truth, right? Like, we just take things for granted because it's not a crisis, 
right? But what happens when we face an obstacle, a problem that is overwhelming us, that seems impossible, and we are convinced it's the end of our life, right? It's the end of our joy, that we don't know how to get past this. And then God comes along, and he, he, he takes care of it, right? He takes care of it. And we're like, wow, God loves me, right? I had, I've had many, and I'm sure you've had experiences like this. I've had many, but one I think back many years ago, uh, I was uh, teaching some in India, and uh, this is really before cell phones, which kind of makes why the story is even more dramatic. Uh, left from Bangkok to Kolkata, and my flight out of Bangkok was about an hour late. And so um, get to, to Kolkata, and I still have time to make my connecting flight to the next city where I was going, but it was going to be close. And I go down the, you know, out of the airplane through the airport and come into the immigration hall to get in line to get my visa or get through immigration. And there were, there were hundreds of people in there in front of me. And I'm like, ah, this is not good, right? And it took forever to get through that line. And about the time I get my visa stamped, my plane was taking off. So I think, well, not a problem, right? This, uh, I have backup plans. Not, not a big deal. I'll just take the train. And I'd taken the train before. So I thought, I go to the airport. And in the airport, there's a train office. I go there, and it's like, easy. I'll just get a ticket. I'll get on the train. Life's good. Well, I get to the train office, and the train office is closed. And I thought, well, that's really strange, because the train offices in India are open all the time, right? Well, just then, a, a guy comes out of the office uh, who works there, and I asked him, I said, you know, I need to get a train ticket. And he just looks at me like, uh, you're in trouble, bud. And uh, he said, uh, this is the Durga Puja holiday. It's a massive holiday in, in, in India, especially in Kolkata. And he said, there are no trains. Every train is jam-packed full. He said, you will absolutely not get a ticket. He said, most of the train ticket offices are closed. He said, the only place you could go is in the, in the heart of the city at the main train station. And, uh, but it says, you're not going to get a train ticket. Well, so, uh, so that's off the table now. Well, back then, it's changed. Well, now it's COVID. It hasn't changed. But back then, um, uh, there was only a couple of flights a week between Bangkok and Kolkata. So if I, was gonna, if I were going to just cancel my trip and come back to Thailand, I'd have to wait three days, right? To go forward, the next flight from Kolkata to the city where I was going was also three days away. And uh, sorry to those of you who lived in India or been there, but really, like, for me, Calcutta is like the worst place. I don't want to spend three hours there, much less three, uh, three days, right? And I think, what am I going to do? Uh, so I called my, my Indian friend that I was going to help, and he, I said, well, I have a college, a former graduate of our college uh, there in Calcutta. I'll send him to go help you. So he comes and he finds me, and, and he's like, yeah, you're in big trouble. He said, there is no way you are going to get a train ticket. And I said, well, I just really, I just, can we pray and can we trust and see if God can do this? He goes, well, all right, I'll take you down to the train station. But he said, there's just no way. Get down to the train station. Sure enough, there were hundreds of people in line trying to get tickets. And there was a lot of yelling and screaming going on. And he finally gets up to the counter and he yells and screams. And he comes back and he goes, yeah, you're not going to get a ticket. You know, I went through this several times and I, I shared with him, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just, I just, um, what if God does this, right? 
And he said, well, if God gets you a train ticket, there's going to be proof that God really loves you. So, uh, long story short, after many hours of hacking back and forth, he comes back with a train ticket. He says, I don't know how, but I got you a train ticket, right? Uh, later, as we're waiting to get on the train, he told me, you know, I have been um, really walking away from God. And he said, uh, my friends all worship idols, and India, India is full of idol worshipers. And my friends are all idol worshipers, and they were pulling me away from Christ and into idol worship again. And he said, I really didn't believe that God could do this. But when God did it, when God got you a ticket and did that miracle, it reminded me that God is powerful and that God loves us. And this guy was young. He was probably 24 or 25 years old. And and that event turned him back to Christ. Uh, And two years later, uh, he died of of a brain tumor. So, yeah, it was a huge inconvenience for me. But, but God wanted to show me and him his love and goodness. And he didn't do it by making it easy. Right? He did it uh, by overcoming obstacles. Right? And that's what God wants to do in our life. That's why he lets problems come into our life. Because it really is the way that he demonstrates his love and goodness. Uh, there really is no enemy like death. There is no obstacle like sin in our own rebellious heart. Right? And, and God has even overcome that enemy. Uh, there, is, there is no enemy like sin, but there is no victory like the cross. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's a serious obstacle. <laughs> you were dead following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Right? That's the ultimate enemy that we face, is our own sinfulness, and the very wrath of God that would, would, would judge us and condemn us to an eternity separate from him. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for your incredible faithfulness to us, and for generations, Lord, you've been faithful. In fact, we can call you that name. You are faithful. Thank you so much how the testimony of Moses stand before us and the cloud of witnesses, Lord, that stand before us. Um, How we trust you or how you have provided for us, Lord. Many times we feel that you 
even when you lead us victoriously we are not grateful because the moments that when we find ourselves in front of giants troubles when plans doesn't go according to the way we want we just feel like we are not loved but lord you you showed us again and again you go before us you make fire in the night so that we can see the path you put a cloud on top of us so that we won't be burned by the sun you're always been faithful you provide what we need yet we sometimes falter to fall back on your word and trust you and obey you this morning we as a family ask you to give us that courage give us the ability to trust you lord believe in the promises that the word has given us to, given us lord we know for ever yesterday today and forever you will not change you are the same lord we are living in a world uh, even the word of god is not any more relevant it's like outdated but we know that's the only thing that will last forever those are the promises that will carry us in the midst of everything lord suffering troubles hardships sickness death hopelessness yes even when we do not have hope it's the word the words of promise that will carry us it's so beautiful to hear how your promises have come true in the lives of our forefathers if your bible is written today oh there won't be enough space to write your faithfulness lord and it's new every morning lord we ask you to bless us this morning we ask you give us the courage to walk through fall back onto that promises every time going get stuff this morning we ask you to minister to our hearts as we are pushed and pulled by the currents of this world father help us to trust you and obey you in jesus name i pray